Hey, thank you. Oh, hello. I'm just glad you guys are here. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be talking to Tom. <laughs> so, nah, nothing. I'm undefendable now. <laughs> uh, what'd you say, Dre? Unoffendable, not undependable. <laughs> We're going to do undercover here. Once Jim gets it up there. Come on, Jim. <laughs> I got uh, slides tonight. Last, uh, last week, we were left off the hook. I, don't, I, had a, I had a guy come by. I don't know if Tom heard some of what, it, what happened today, but Good night. He had a convoluted sense of what God was and who God was. And I realized that I don't know everything I should know. I don't know God as much as I know. I know what the Bible says about God, but he is so great and so awesome that uh, I can't figure him out. <laughs> Look at the stars at night if you think you can figure them out. <laughs> Look up there. Those little spots of light can be galaxies with... Hundred thousand stars. <laughs> That's something. But he's a wonderful God. And I choose to believe that he is here and he loves me. Have we got have we got it working? We're having technical difficulties. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait a minute now, that's, that's not the way it went. Did you sure you was, a, there it goes. It's getting, it's getting closer anyway. <laughs> uh, that's all right. Uh, what is sin? Okay, separation from God, there's one answer. What else? Sin. You've been to sinning. We're all nobody is without sin. sin. <laughs> it's going against the laws of God. There you go. And Philip has something. Like when you read the Bible and you miss the mark, you, you don't quite get it right. All right, what what are we supposed to be to God? His children? Servants. Friends. Servants. First of all, we are his slave. So if Jesus says something, we do it. <laughs> There's an old saying that went around when I was younger. It says, how high can you jump? <laughs> that high. <laughs> I don't know. I can't jump very high. All right, how do we... Uh, let me get this... How do we decide ourselves, deceive. deceive ourselves into thinking that some sins are wrong and, and others aren't? I, I've seen this in church. I've seen it a lot. Uh, the, the pastor got into sin and he left, he left the church. Have you ever heard that? Okay, we're talking about big ones. Maybe that pastor, I'm not talking about you, Tom. <laughs> maybe that pastor, maybe... He was sinning in other ways. 
Maybe he lusted after women. Maybe he did, you know, other, other sins are just as bad as, as the one, the one that, that we think is so terrible. So we, uh, there we go. We got it undercover too. Let's flip it now. Okay. There, I can read it now, Jim. <laughs> so we have, we, have caught, we have made some, like if a pastor dips in the money, and he starts spending, uh, spending money, and the board members find out about it, they will, uh, they will let him go. But if, he, if he's a sinner, and he, and he uh, is jealous of somebody, there's less likely he can keep that hidden. Is that right? But it's still a sin. Uh, so what, what uh, John Bevere is trying to do is, is tell you that Little sins and big sins. There's no little sins and no big sins. <laughs> I used to say, well, if I shoot you and I, I murder somebody, that's a big sin. <laughs> if I lied to somebody, that would still be a sin. And God looks at them both the same way. That's what I believe, and that's what the Bible tells us. All right, now we're going to get into John Bevere, and he's going to talk to you for a while. You about ready for it? Okay, we're going to do the video. Ready to go? I think uh, I'll just tell a little bit about what went on today. If you uh, realize there's a lot of people out there that don't have homes. A lot of people are living in the woods. The guy that came to see me today said, just show me a place where I can put my tent. That, he is completely out of, he's 35 or so years old. He wouldn't tell me how old he was. <laughs> I think he's about 35. And... Uh, I asked him, I said, well, what got you into trouble? Why are you basically, basically he's homeless? And then he had a, you know, a tale about some of the things that have happened to him in the years. But we all need God. And, and uh, I, really, I really believe that God takes care of us. So I've got somebody, I can wake up at 3 in the morning and start talking to somebody. Isn't that awesome? Somebody that loves me. <laughs> The, the, the people that don't believe in God don't know that. Anytime, yeah. This, you've always got somebody with you. God's inside through the Holy Spirit, and uh, you always got him with you. Okay, I think we're going to go ahead and start now. I hope. <laughs> that looks better. How could a harsh or corrupt leader actually provide protection for you? How is it possible to be completely right and totally wrong at the same time? How do you respond to and overcome unfair treatment? 
you are about to discover some principles that can change the entire course of your life. There is nothing we have that God hasn't given us. You see, God gave us grace. Submission deals with your attitude. It is easy to obey God when the sun's shining. There is a secret place under the shadow of the Almighty where there is liberty, provision, and protection. The following 12-part teaching series by John Bevere, along with study guide and a copy of John's book, Undercover, exposes the subtle yet rampant tactics the enemy uses to keep you from the promise of protection under his authority. John Bevere Ministries and Nelson Multimedia Group present Undercover. What is sin? Do you think you know? What you're about to hear may surprise you. Join John Bevere now for Lesson 2, The Secret Power of Lawlessness. Let's open up our Bibles this morning to 1 John. I want to find 1 John chapter 3. Now, while you're turning your Bibles there, I want to start out the session with a little game here. Can we play a little game? Can we play the psychiatrist-patient game? I'll be the psychiatrist, you be the patient, you sit on the couch. And I got my pad, and I'm going to tell you a word, and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind when I say the word. Can we do that? All right. The first word I'm going to say is sin. Black. <laughs> Black. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to help you with the way most people relate to that word sin. Most people, when they think the word sin, they think of some kind of sexual immorality, and that just seems to be a real prevalent thought that comes to people's minds. Another word, that, or another thing that people may think about is drug abuse, alcoholism. They may think about rape. They may think about murder. And all these are sins, true. But let me say this. Most people's definition of the word sin is very, very limited in the church. In other words, we really don't know what the core meaning or the core understanding of the word sin is. Now, I want to say this. Before I can really, really go into God's delegated authority, I need to, first of all, talk about his direct authority. All right? That's what I'm dealing with here in this session. Now, to define it, I want to look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. John makes this statement in the fourth verse. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And now look at this. And sin is lawlessness. Everybody say this with me in the church real loud. Sin is is lawlessness. Now, the Greek word there for lawlessness is the Greek word anomia. Anomia is defined by the Thayer's Dictionary of Greek Words as this, the condition of being without law because of ignorance of it or because of violating it. Simply put, this word means not to submit to the law or the authority of God. This perfectly lines up with what the Apostle John says. John says, sin is to violate God's authority. It is to disobey God. Now, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, I want to look at the 15th verse. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him, Jesus, heard these things, he said to Jesus, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 16, Then Jesus said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. Now, church, that's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Is that not true? Can you say amen? amen. Now, watch this. <clears throat> and sent his servant at supper time. Now, who is that servant? That servant is Jesus. The Bible is very clear in Hebrews chapter 1 that God, who in times past spoke to us through the fathers, through the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. 
I don't care if you're a teacher or a writer or a preacher or whatever you are, when you speak, the Bible commands us to speak as the oracles of God because it is Jesus who is speaking to us. We're only the vessels. Amen? Amen. So that servant at supper, who was sent at supper time is a representation of Jesus. Now watch this. The servant was sent at supper time to say to those who were invited. Everybody say, those who were invited. Now really, I'm going to modernize this. We're talking about those people in the church who were born again, who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Are we there? All right. To say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. Now look at verse 18. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I got a kicking party to go to and a fifth of vodka. And I ask that you have me excused. Verse 19. And another said to him, I've just won an all-expense-paid trip to Las Vegas and been given $5,000 a blow in the casinos. I ask you, please have me excused. Verse 20. Still another said, I have a trip planned next week to go with my secretary to Hawaii. My wife doesn't know a thing about it. She thinks it's a business trip. Please don't tell her I can't come. Is that what it says? I said, is that what it says? No. Can we really read it? Verse 18. But they all with one accord begin to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground. Now look up at me, please. Is it a sin to buy a piece of ground? Absolutely not. I bought one this year. If it was, I'm in trouble. It's not a sin to buy a piece of ground. But when buying the piece of ground is more important than instantly obeying the word of the master, it violates the definition of the word sin. Or I should say it lines up with the definition of the word sin. It is disobedience to divine authority. Are you with me? Now watch this. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go see to it. I ask you, have me excused. Verse 19. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. Now, would you look up at me? Is it a sin to buy five yoke of oxen or any other business equipment? No, absolutely not. But when buying that business equipment or testing that business equipment or that business becomes more important than instantly obeying the word of the Lord, it becomes sin because it's disobedience to divine authority. Are you seeing this? Verse 20, still another said, I've married a wife. Would you look up at me? Is it a sin to marry a wife? No, no if it is, we're all in trouble. <laughs> Amen? But when, listen, that wife, it becomes more important than instantly obeying the word of God, it violates his word and it's sin. Are you with me? So now listen. Look what Jesus goes on to say about these three guys that make excuses. Now look, we, we wouldn't consider these things to be great sins. I mean, all the guy wanted to do is tend to his land. All the other guy wanted to do is take care of his oxen. All the other guy wanted to do is go be with his wife. But yet they did not instantly obey what the master told them to do. Isn't that true? So look what Jesus says about these guys. Are you ready? Look, look at verse 24. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Are you here? I mean, is this sinking in? You see, folks, sin is simply disobeying God's authority, His will, or His word. So there's nothing, now listen to me, there's nothing in this parable about prostitutes, about drug addicts, about pimps, is there? 
Nothing in there about thieves, huh? Oh, yes, there is. There sure is. Keep reading. Look at this. Verse 21. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets, to the lanes of the city, and bring here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and still there's room. Verse 23, read carefully. Then the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and to the hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house might be filled. Folks, the highways, the hedges represent the drug addict, the pimp, the prostitute, the thief. Are you seeing that those people are going to enter into the kingdom of God? Why? Because I believe they're going to come to a place in their life where they're saying, you know, I'm fed up with this drugs, I'm fed up with this prostitution. And they're going to discover the lordship of Jesus and they're going to be people that love much because they've been forgiven much and because out of their love they're going to instantly obey. Whereas all these other people who are going to church saying, well, you know, I've just got this and I've just got that and I'm busy and I've this... They're not going to be eating at the Supper of the Lamb. That perfectly lines up with what Jesus said. That many will say to me that day, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We did miracles in your name. We did wonders in your name. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you who did not obey the will of my Father. Sobering. This perfectly lines up with another parable. Jesus talks about having two a man having two sons. How many of you remember this parable? A man has two sons. He says to the first son, go out and work in my vineyard. The son said, no, I'm not going to do it. But later on, what did he do? He repented, and he went out and worked in the vineyard. He looked at the other son and said, Son, go work in my vineyard. And the son said, Yes, sir, gladly. But yet, he doesn't do it. Probably got busy with his business or something else he was involved in. Jesus then looked at the religious leaders and said, Which one did the will of the Father? And the religious leaders answered correctly. They said the first son, the one who said no, but ended up going out and working. And then Jesus made this statement. In Matthew 21, verse 31, he said, Assuredly, I say to you that the tax collectors, the harlots, enter the kingdom of God before you. And this he was speaking to the religious leaders and preachers of his day. Are you with me? This perfectly correlates with what sin is, its core definition. But then somebody says, well, wait a minute. What about lying? What about getting drunk? What about committing adultery? What about stealing or murder? You mean to tell me those aren't sins? Oh, yeah, they're sins because you want to know why they're sins? They violate God's command. Because God says about lying in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24 and 25, listen carefully. He says, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. In excessive drinking, Ephesians 5, 18, God specifically says, do not be drunk with wine. 1 Corinthians verse six, or chapter 6, verse 18, concerning adultery and fornication, the Bible says flee sexual immorality. Concerning stealing, Ephesians 4, 28, if you're a thief, stop stealing. Murder, 1 John 3, 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So absolutely those others are sins, and as a matter of fact, the Bible is very specific that those who practice such will not inherit the kingdom of God. However... When we, our core understanding of sin is just what we call these big ones, we're going to miss out on the fact that these, just these little foxes, according to Ecclesiastics, that's, that steal from us. And we can almost become like I was when I was a young man, and I was told my sister was sick, but I didn't connect until she was dead. And there's going to be a lot of people who are not going to connect until Jesus looks at them and says, Depart with me if they don't wake up and listen to the Word of God. That is why Jesus looked at those religious leaders and said, Hey, guys, the harlots, the prostitutes, they are going into the kingdom of God before you. Why? Because you go to your synagogue, you do this, you do that, but you still live by your own self-will. Good preaching. Amen. I'll help you. Go to Matthew 24, please. <clears throat> 
In Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking about the last days. How many of you know we're living in the last days? Can I see your hands? Amen. Absolutely. I think you have to be spiritually blind not to know that we're living in the last days. Amen? Amen. And Jesus said we would know the season. We wouldn't know the day or the hour. Some people try to think the day or the hour. Don't even listen to them. But he said we'd know the season. We're in the season. Amen? And you know what's amazing to me? In this one chapter alone, do you know what Jesus says four times about the last days? Be careful that you're not deceived. In other words, deception's going to run rampant in the last days. Now, there's only one problem with deception, and you know what it is? It's deceiving. That's the only problem with deception. Deception, you really believe you're right when in reality you're wrong. That's exactly the way it's going to be for those people that come to the gates of heaven that have done miracles in his name, that have professed his lordship, yet he's going to look at them and say, Depart from me, you who did not do the will of my Father. They were living in deception. They believed they were saved when they really weren't. If you read to the, ch the, the letters to the churches in the book of Revelations, you'll find out there are a few churches that think they're saved, but they're not. He said, You have a name that says you're alive, but you're dead. He said, You think you're saved, but you're about to be vomited out of my mouth. But one of the things we've got to wake up to, folks, in these last days, is that the Bible says that there's going to be massive deception. Paul said to Timothy, he said, one of the things that's going to mark the last days is it's going to bring difficult times. The difficult times is you're going to have people in churches that still love themselves. They love money. They love pleasure. They're unthankful. They're unholy. They're unforgiving. But they're going to have a form of Christianity, a form of the grace of God, but they're going to deny its power. What power is he talking about? The power that changes us from being ungodly to godly. The power that changes us from being unholy to holy. Unthankful to thankful. A lover of self to a lover of others. Are you with me? Are you with me? And you know what Paul said? These people are going to be ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, they're going to go from camp meeting to camp meeting, church service to church service, seminar to seminar, going to amass a massive amount of spiritual knowledge, but they are going to miss the fundamental thing of Christianity, and that is our submission to His Lordship. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 about the last days. He says, and because lawlessness, everybody say lawlessness. It is the same Greek word, anomia. Everybody say anomia which means not being submitted to the authority of God. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Now, would you look up at me? How many of you know that lawlessness is abounding in our society today? Can I see your hands? Absolutely. Absolutely. Our society, I'm going to tell you, it is more normal to rebel than it is to submit in our society. However, let me make this statement to you. Jesus is not talking about society. He's talking about the church. You say, wait a minute, how do you know that? You see the word love there in verse, 20, in verse 12? And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many. Everybody say love. love. There are many Greek words translated love in the, in the New Testament. Let me give you one of them. Phileo, which means brotherly kindness. The world has that, the church has that. There's another one, eros, which is sexual love between a man and a woman. The world has that, and the church has that. There's storge, which is the all kind of love. That's the kind of love that people have for Michael Jordan, Princess Diana, Tiger Woods. The church has that. The world has that. But then there's agape. And agape is the love of God that Jesus said would be shed abroad in our heart when we're born again. It's the, one that the, it's the love that the Holy Spirit sheds abroad in our hearts. It is the love that Jesus said the world cannot receive. In this verse, Jesus does not use the word phileo. He doesn't use storge. He doesn't use eros. He says, because lawlessness will abound, the agape of many will grow cold. He is talking about the love of God, and the only ones that have that are those that are born again. Look at verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Folks, let me tell you something. You don't say to somebody who hasn't started a race, if you endure the race, you'll be saved. You don't normally say that. You say that to somebody that's already started. 
Are you with me? He who endures means that's the guy that's already started. Are you seeing this? He is talking. He is saying that one of the things that's going to happen in these last days is there's going to be massive lawlessness. <clears throat> and folks, I'm going to say this. I've traveled all over the world, and I can honestly say to you, I have seen the words of Jesus being fulfilled. You know what most people's attitude of submission is? I'll submit as long as I agree. But let me tell you something. Submission doesn't even begin until there's disagreement. What submission is there if you just submit if you agree? Good preaching, amen. Now, there's two questions we've got to ask. Number one, what is the root cause of deception? Good question. Would you like to know what the root cause of deception is? How many of you would like to know, really? Go to James chapter 1 and we'll see it. James, the first chapter. I want to look just at one verse here. Everybody there? Say amen. amen. James chapter 1, let's just look at verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only. Watch this. Deceiving yourselves. Man, that is a powerful statement. James says that when a person hears the word of God, yet he does not do it, deception enters into his heart. Now, it's a scary thing to deceive yourself, isn't it? Now, the second question we've got to ask is why is deception or lawlessness, I should say, going to run rampant in the last days? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us, listen to me carefully, the reason lawlessness will run rampant in the last days is because people will not love truth. Now, let me make this clear. To love truth doesn't mean love hearing it. It means love obeying it. If you go to Ezekiel 33, which I will not do this morning, you will find out that God said the people came to hear Ezekiel to preach because he was a great preacher. And he said they all came. They were all saying to one another, you've got to hear this guy preach. He's tremendous. But yet God said they would come and they would hear your words, but they would not do them. Why? Because they love themselves. The reason deception will run so lampant is because of the love of self. Exactly what Paul said to Timothy. Men will love themselves more than they love truth. Are you with me? There is another factor involved here, and that is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. The NIV version says, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Paul talks about, in that chapter of Thessalonians, a secret power of lawlessness being at work in the last days. Everybody say secret power. Now, Paul, in the, in the New King James, says the mystery of lawlessness. The mystery of lawlessness is in its secret power. Can you say secret power? There is a power of lawlessness. Paul makes a statement about Eve. Because you know what? If I look at Adam and Eve, I, and if I study that out, I'm going to find Satan's best shot. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because let me tell you this. He came into a garden where a man and a woman walked in the very presence of God. They beheld his glory. There were no, listen, Eve was never oppressed by a boss. She was never abused by a husband or a father. He came into a perfect environment where the presence of God permeated that place and was able to deceive that woman. So if I understand how Satan deceived Eve, I'm going to understand his best shot for us today. Are you with me? Because Paul makes this statement in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Just listen to it. And while I'm saying that, go over to Genesis chapter 3. Paul makes this statement in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. 
But I fear, listen to these words as you're turning, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted. Did you hear that? Paul wrote to this Corinthian church and said, I am afraid that just the way Satan deceived Eve, he's going to do it to you. Are you with me? So we got to understand how he deceived her. Amen? Go to Genesis chapter 3. Let's go right back to the beginning here. Genesis, the third chapter, please. Genesis chapter 3. Actually, before we read uh, chapter 3, let's look at chapter 2. And let's look at the 16th verse, please. God places Adam in the garden, and here is the command. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Would you look up at me? God's emphasis, God's emphasis to Adam is, You can freely eat from every tree. Now let me tell you, there were a lot of trees in that garden. So do you hear his generosity? Do you hear his goodness? Are you seeing this? I mean, God's a giver, isn't he? But yet his authority restrained them. And he said, but there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the emphasis of the command is look what you can eat, all these trees. His authority, because he didn't want robots in the garden, he wanted people that could choose to obey him. His authority said, except that one tree, right? So now watch, the serpent comes along in chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was much more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Are you with me? Now, would you look up at me? Can I modernize that and make it more in our vernacular? The serpent comes up to Eve and he says, So you can't eat from every tree, can you? So what does the serpent do? He gets her eyes off of all she can eat and gets her eyes on the one thing God has said don't eat. Are you with me? So now watch. He, what he's doing is he's trying to bring God's motive into question. What he's trying to do now is pervert the character of God in her eyes. Are you with me? He's trying to make God look like a taker instead of the giver that he really is. By getting your eyes off of all she can eat and look at what you can't eat. Why do you think the Bible says this over and over and over? Be thankful, be thankful. Because it keeps your eyes on all that God has given us. But for some reason, people today concentrate on look what I can't do. Good preaching, amen. I'll help you. Amen. Now, she's looking at this and she's thinking, wow. Now, let me tell you something. Psalms 97, verse 2 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. What is the enemy trying to do? He's trying to challenge the very authority of God because his authority is based on his righteousness and on his goodness. So look what he goes on. Look, now, look at this. The woman, now listen, the woman corrected the serpent. She looks back at him, and look what she says. The woman says to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And in the book, I go into that much more. But I want you to notice something. The woman corrects the serpent. But as she does, it's very possible that she begins to wonder about the reason behind the command. Isn't that right? She starts thinking, you know, she's looking at this fruit and she's going, wait a minute. It looks good. 
And you know what? It'll make me wise. And so the enemy comes right back in while those questionings are going on. And everybody say questionings. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to coin this phrase, those reasonings. All right? Everybody say reasonings. She's thinking it looks good. It's going to make me wise. She judges the fruit to be good, not evil. Are you with me? He comes right back and he says this. Look at verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So now she's got the promise that she won't die. And she's looking at this fruit, and it looks good. See, folks, you've got to understand something. She wasn't drawn to the evil side. She was drawn to the good side. There is a good that is very rebellious to God's authority. Did you catch that? There is a good that humanity says is good. And what it is, is humanity has substituted the principle of reasoning for the principle of obedience. She looks at that tree and now she goes, wait a minute, that fruit's good. It's going to make me wise and I'm not going to die. If that fruit's good, then what else is he withholding from me? His character has been perverted. The foundation of his throne now has been shaken in her heart. Are you with me? Now God, in Eve's eyes, is a taker. He's a withholder. And so what's the next step? She eats, and she gives it to her husband, and he eats. James chapter 1, this is why James comes along many, many, many years later. And listen to what he says. Verse 16. Do, chapter 1, verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift... And every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. James comes along and says, don't be deceived. Don't be like Eve and be deceived. Get it set in your heart right now. There is nothing good for me outside of the will of God. Settle it in your heart. Let it be established. Nothing is good for you outside of God's authority or his will. But remember Jesus. He's in the desert 40 days, starvation sets in. If he doesn't get food, he's going to die. And what comes first, the promise or the, or the temptation? The temptation. If you're the son of God, he's not taking care of you. Change that stone into bread. But Jesus endured. When you have it settled in your heart, there is nothing good for me outside of the will of God. You will not be deceived. Why didn't God accept Cain's offering? In the next lesson, John shows you the door that gives the enemy access to your life. In the teaching, The Consequences of Disobedience. If you are enjoying this teaching series by John Bethier, you need to send for a free catalog listing a variety of other videotape teachings. For some reason, there it goes. Uh, we'll probably go over some of those points and highlight some of the points that he made. And uh, we'll get back on the slides here. All right, what's another word for lawlessness? That's the Greek. Anomia, yeah, yeah. Remember that? Now, now you know Greek. Oh, it's up there? Okay. 
First John 3, 4 says sin is lawlessness. Now, what's the definition of lawlessness? Sin is def defined as lawlessness, right? All right, do we have good laws? Right, let's, let's go to the automobile. If we didn't have the policeman, then you can't, you can't go 90 miles an hour on the interstate, right? You can. <laughs> so we have the freedom to do that, but if everybody did that, we'd probably have a lot more accidents. So somewhere in there, there's a law. It's made for your protection. Um, the prison system. I go to the jail once a week. Uh, if you do something, if you steal money from somebody that is not yours, you go to jail. If you didn't have any, if you could do anything you wanted to and you had perfect freedom, what would that mean? You wouldn't have freedom, would you? Because if everybody's stealing, then you would try to protect yourself by yourself. So society says, okay, let's, let's have somebody who protects us. And that's what policemen do. So in, in, for true freedom, we have, to have, we have to have rules and regulations to have freedom. It doesn't work any other way. I don't know why, but we just can't do what we want to. Now, I always liked reading. I told, I've read Johnny Erickson Tada's uh, testimony to you all before. But let me emphasize the point. She has been an invalid, invalid. She's been a quadriplegic for 50 years. 50 years she's been, she, she wakes up in the morning, looks at, looks, opens her eyes. Somebody comes in, does her hair. Somebody brushes her teeth. Somebody takes her to the bathroom. All those things she cannot do. She has been through, she said, she says in her testimony, I have seen everybody, all the faith healers I've been to, from Catherine Kuhlman to Benny Hinn, everybody that is anybody in the healing ministry has, has prayed for Heidi, prayed for her, not Heidi, prayed for her. Johnny, yeah, that's it. My memory is just, is, is, memory is good. Hey, right, Eddie? <laughs> but she doesn't know everything. God does. So what we're going to have to, if, if something bad happens to us, we're going to have to say, that doesn't make sense to me, God. Has anybody ever had something like that happen to you? When people die, that doesn't make any sense to God. But he knows more than you do. So I've told you over and over again, and I'm Philip, I told Philip again, God is good, he loves me, and he can be trusted. So we could, uh, if we know nothing else about the Bible, you can do that every day, and, and uh, you'll get along fine. Okay, let's go to the next one. All right, what I did here, Christ says, because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will give will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. To whom is this statement made? Is society, the government, or the church? 
uh, I, I was when I was reading this, it the church uh, is hit pretty hard. <laughs> I do I do thank you all for coming tonight, but this won't get you to heaven. I, I tell people people I watch TV. I don't need to I don't need to go to church because I watch television. I say, well, if you go to church, you'll meet people just like you who are trying to do the right thing, trying to serve the Lord. That's why I go to church. <laughs> it's not because I'll get better. It's, well, actually, it will get better. <laughs> but it's, I have something to do. Something to, to, to do. I can say, okay. This guy's going through the same thing, and this is the way he hands it. Or you look at the Bible, and the Bible tells you how to handle all the problems. Some things I don't understand, so I'll sit there and I'll pray. I'll say, God, I don't understand that, but I know you do. <laughs> Would you fix it? <laughs> That's a good prayer. Because I know that he knows more than I do. So if you're lying, he, he, well, he goes over this. It says, uh, go ahead and flip the slides there, Jim. One more. I always have a hard time getting these slides. Okay, go back to lying. All right, Ephesians 4.24. Has anybody got a Bible real, real handy? Ephesians 24.4.24. Ephesians 4.24. Is anybody looking it up? This is Bible roulette. <laughs> we'll see how much you know about the Bible. Jim, the first one says lying. There we go. Let each one of you speak the truth. That's uh, that helps. That keeps helps you to quit lying. Excessive drinking. Ephesians five eighteen. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. My uh, son really gets into that one. It doesn't say you can drink what you want, but it does say don't get drunk. Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, Run from sexual sin. No other sin affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. This is, this is really, really will tell you what happens if you, if you do commit adultery. So I was um, talking to somebody that, that lived, has lived with a woman for, for years, and... Uh, there are times in a marriage when you don't get along that well. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> but if you're committed to the event of, ma or of marriage, you will say, Lord, that woman you gave me, <laughs> she's wrong. <laughs> I might say that to God. He might not strike me dead. But uh, I wouldn't say it to her. <laughs> but... Uh, He gives us what might happen if you get into it. And that's not what you want. You don't want that uh, 
run from this sexual sin. No other sin affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. So Satan is really hitting this one hard in America. You see a lot of marriages break up because of adultery. And uh, he knows, Satan knows the Bible. <laughs> he knows what's going on. If I can just get him to commit adultery, I got him. <laughs> At least for a while. <laughs> stealing. If you're a thief, stop stealing. It's as simple as that. So basically what's good and what we understand comes from the Bible. It's, uh, we all like to read what the answers are. We all, so there's enough in the Bible that you would understand that you could, you could have confidence that the other parts of the Bible that you don't understand are correct, even if you don't understand them. Does that, does that make sense? <laughs> you have to do what you know. I know it's right, even though I don't understand it. And sometimes it seems to contradict itself. But that's not, I say, Lord, I, it looks like a contradiction to me, but I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> so I say, please, me and uh, Pastor Willie were talking about uh, something yesterday, and and uh, he said something that, that, that made me realize that the truth, what the truth was. And my spirit just said, that's it. So that those two things I didn't understand were brought together, and I understand them now. <laughs> and so ask God for, for revelation. He's not upset about it. Okay, go ahead and flip it. How is a person deceived when she hears the word of God but fails to do it? He or she. <laughs> I said she, didn't I? Let me read that again now. How is a person deceived when he or she hears the word of God but fails to do it? Now we can. Okay, yeah, and we're, we're, we're this, uh, we'll bring up adultery. The Bible tells us don't do it. You're cheating yourself because you're, um, I lost, forgot what I said now. Wait a minute. Because you're not receiving your blessing. <laughs> Good job. I think, too, when we don't do the, what the Word of God says, that we kind of justify ourselves. And so I think that's the way we kind of talk ourselves into deception is by justification. Yeah. Andy has something she wanted to say. You know, that's just like some of the seed that fell on stony ground. You hear me? And some was snatched away by the enemy. And so that's why a lot of them didn't grow. And I think that's just the way we are. If we don't love him enough to do what he say do, then we sin. That's right. And I want to hammer on this point that you're a slave. You can't do what you want to do. That's true. You've got to be God's slave. And sometimes you're going to feel uncomfortable. You're not going to want to do it. For, it might be a good TV program, a football game, <laughs> which Jan loves. <laughs> but I can't do everything I want to do. I do what God tells me to do. So that's, that's what he's saying. Yeah, Jim. 
faith without works. To do it. Okay. James had something to say about that. He said, be you doers of the word, not hear, hearers only. Uh, James is an awesome guy. I know, uh, I think uh, Michael Martin Luther said you should take the book of James out of the Bible. He really didn't like it. <laughs> but let me tell you, I don't think there's anybody in the Bible that knew Jesus better than James. I think he knew him very well. So when he says something, uh, he, you know, he's like, I listen. <laughs> Jen, he wants to. I was just going to say, it seems like there's different things that can block us from either like we don't understand what the commandment is that God's given us, or sometimes uh, someone deceives us into thinking, well, you don't have to really do that. Uh, so. There seems to be blockers, or sometimes we get uh, distracted by something else, and we forget that he wanted us to do something. Yeah, and, and I really, I know God loves me. <laughs> he certainly understands me. And he made, I can trust him to do whatever he's doing, even though I don't uh, do it right sometimes. If you don't, if you sin, what do you, what's, what's available to you? Okay, a prostitute. She asked she asked for God to forgive her of that sin. And, and God, remember what he said? He said, go and sin no more. That's right. So whatever you've done in the past, it's a delete button. I used to say it this way. Push the delete button, and it's all gone. And, and then you start walking the straight and narrow. Say, okay, God, I'm, I've seen what happens when I have my way. Now I'll give it to you. Okay, let's go one more. By issuing a command, what was God trying to accomplish with Adam and Eve? Is that where I'm at? Oh, okay. Of every tree of the garden, you may eat freely, or freely eat, but the tree of knowledge and good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you shall surely die. Why did God do that? I used to... I used to Go, this question bothered me ever since I was young. <laughs> Why did God put that serpent in there and let him talk? <laughs> yeah. Free will. It seems like he wants everybody to have free will. But he wants us to choose to obey him. Sometimes I would rather him just make me do it. <laughs> you ever thought of that? <laughs> Make it easy. There really is no freedom without choice. You got okay. to have it. You're given a choice. True freedom. Yeah, people. A lot of a lot of times, people say, "Well, what about the Holocaust? That can't be God." Six million Jews were killed. But remember what that guy said. The, the guy, the, the man, and he he wore a cap. What's his name? In Israel, it was a rabbi. Yeah. He said, if there was no, God, golly, if, if the people weren't killed, there wouldn't be no Israel today. The, the Holocaust opened the door for Israel. Israel, the prophecy is, if you do this, this will happen in the latter times. And Israel was formed, and, and now Israel's a very strong country. But it wouldn't have done that any other way. 
So God was trying to make people have freedom. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that Satan had a part of Holocaust. Sure he did. Okay. Men, he, men's he decisions. He played a big part of it. That's what yeah, I think. Men's decisions cause it looks completely evil to us. If, if you remember, we look at things in this little tiny spectrum, right? If you look yeah. at the whole picture of this thing, he warned Israel, if you rebel and you go down this path, there's a consequence. Yeah. They significantly rebelled. God said, okay. And he raises up a satanic antichrist named Hitler. And the whole people of Germany, my descendants, buy into the deception because of greed. It came out of the whole, you study this whole thing, they came out of, you know, the, all of that which came, they lost to World War I, their pride. And their, you know. So when you look at the big picture of this thing, God says, I will punish you for your sin, Israel, but I will bring about... A blessing from this. Yeah. And so, yeah, Satan operated through all this and killed, stole, and murdered a bunch. And, but God, in the midst of it, raises up the next generation. Yeah, this next question is, is uh, we often look at things in, of this world as being good or desirable. How can we be certain that something is from God above and not a deception? Have you ever heard somebody say, well, God told me to do this? Has it always been right? I, I really, uh, Randy Clark, I've listened to all his sermons, I think. <laughs> he says, this is what I think I'm hearing. God, I think God is telling me that you're such and such, you know. That way, is no doubt about it. Uh, Michael uh, Satori used to be here. He used to call it the God card. The God card, you know, like a visa, you know. <laughs> It's, you're putting, the, I mean, like if somebody wants to be right and so somebody wants you to do what they want to do, some, sometimes they'll say, well, God told me this. Now, sometimes God does speak to us. But I think it's better to say, I feel like I'm hearing God and I think this is what he wants us to do. Because there's that way, God's still God and, and you're still you. <laughs> you're still human. Yeah, humility, yeah, that's a good one. We must keep in mind that a gift may well be good and desirable, but not in God's plan for us. I, I don't uh, have all the answers to what, you know, you, you, you have people with 50 years of quadriplegia, not healed, and then somebody is healed in one second. I don't know why God doesn't heal everybody. I know he's good. We, and that, that comes by faith. I, I have faith that God is good. And if he does something, it's good. Yeah, Eddie. Isn't that something? Heart that they can be preachers, they can go on about the business. You see? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's the key right there. 
And there's another scripture that says, you look through a glass darkly. Is that how it goes? We don't see things the way God sees them. So you can trust him. That is the deal. Trusting is always, it, it, you always have to trust God. Now, does he cause, I don't know if everything bad that happens to you is God. I really don't. It's not. But I know that God has the power to stop anything. Now that, <laughs> that tells you something. I trust him, and, and, and uh, no matter what happens to me, and it, sometimes I, I react badly. <laughs> somebody, somebody said, it's, it's better to recover well than, than react. <laughs> so, <laughs> sometimes I react badly, but I recover. I'll start thinking about it. I'll say, God, I don't like this. <laughs> but I trust you. So if this is continuing to happen to me, there must be a reason for it. Because you know all things. And uh, that, I, I think that's the way we have to end up. <laughs> now, we, we might react poorly, but we keep trusting. Say, no, Lord, it's like it's, it's just some things happen in, in this life that, that you don't understand. Okay, hit, hit the next slide, Jim. Why are so many deceived into pursuing the things of this world and neglecting what is from God? I know this is this is a biggie. If you look, if you look at uh, at the world, it's all in pleasure. The world wants to be happy, and that's See, what I think. It's our own selfish desires that kind of blind us. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think God gives us too much leeway. <laughs> God, why don't you make me a robot? You know, have you ever thought of that? Make me do the right thing every time. <laughs> but instead, he, he tells you what he's, he wants you to do, and he doesn't tell you loudly. Sometimes he whispers to you. And, and then you do it wrong, or you, get, you look in the Bible where it says, do this, and you say, my goodness, I didn't do that. <laughs> but thank you, Lord, yeah. Yeah. And so I'll ask God if he wants me to do something or if I have to do it. And he always says, you don't have to do it. And then he stops. And then it makes you think, well, what do you want <coughs> me to do? And that's when he's like, oh, I want you to do it. <laughs> and so then that gives me the choice to say yes or no. And then it's an obvious conviction of like, I've got to do it. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's what the Bible does. It tells us. Something is biblical if we know the Bible, but if we don't know it, we don't know it's not biblical. So that's one reason we, we tell people to read the Bible. Yeah, there's people, there's people that don't even know the Bible. We, we, uh... Isn't that something? God loves us. We, we, were, we were reading Second uh, Chronicles 30, I think it was, last night. Because we were reading through the Bible, and uh, all the people had, we, they were coming together to celebrate Passover, and um, they had not cleansed themselves correctly or something, and uh, so Hezekiah prayed that God would forgive them, and uh, it says that God uh, overlooked 
their uh, sin because he was happy that they were they had their heart right or something. They yeah, were trying trying to do that's what right. They Sometimes it is it is the thought that you know he knows what he knows your mind he knows your heart he knows everything about you. In fact, he made you. Pastor Tom says that wife you gave me, Lord, she said this. <laughs> so when you say it that way, God gave it to her. And so we have to be aware of that. That uh, sometimes he gives you things that aren't comfortable. <laughs> I didn't say that about your wife. <laughs> now, don't listen. Yeah, hope she's not listening with you. <laughs> All right, let me see. Let me read you what they said. We forget that wanting is not needing, and we are when we confuse God's refusal to supply all our wants to, as evidence of His indecisiveness. We avoid this error by internal and external submission to God. Uh, how many times did Paul had a thorn in the flesh? He prayed against three times. Isn't that something? He knew God well enough that God said, "Your weakness, my strength is in your weakness." Yeah, and he only prayed three times, so he didn't pray for it anymore. Because that's what God wanted. That's an interesting, interesting topic. Okay, the next question. In the parable of the two sons, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the tax, tax collectors, prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. How were the Pharisees deceiving themselves concerning their own righteousness? There's people in the church today just like this. People, and, and, I, and I, I do die, I pray to God, God, show me where I'm wrong. <laughs> if I'm wrong, please tell me. Does he do that? <laughs> he does. Because <laughs> I really want to know the right thing. I, and, and again, this is a tough life. And I, and I, tell you this, I say this to people, life is hard. But God is good. <laughs> And uh, everybody here will, will, will relate to that because you know there are times when you don't know the answer to something. Okay. How do we sometimes deceive ourselves into thinking we are doing the will of God when in actuality we are pursuing our own desires? Well, God, playing golf today is okay. I, my dad used to preach, and he, he would say, if anybody goes fishing on Sunday morning, snakes will bite him or something. <laughs> he would say something bad's going to happen to those who don't don't do that. It was funny. He said that when I was younger, but I think he mellowed as as the years went by. Okay, how do we sometimes deceive ourselves into what? We are doing the will of God when, when in actuality we're pursuing our own desires. I want to just hit that again. How are we uh, sometimes deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're doing the will of God? Has anybody got something they want to say about that? Um, unfortunately, some of my family is dealing with um, a situation right now where... Um, a relative heard 
from a preacher that God wants us to be happy. And because she's not happy in her marriage because of hurts from the past or whatever that she can't let go of, she feels that it's okay to dissolve the marriage and, and because now I'm going to I'm in my the prime of my life and I deserve to be happy and have all the things that I want um, that will make me happy as opposed to um, honoring that commitment that she made. But what's um, that do like for the long term? Well, it, that's deception. That's yeah. like she's deceived by what like taking the twisting of. You know, what what she was told by some pastor that you know well the Lord desires you to be happy so do whatever you need to do to be happy, um, and yet it's in um, disobedience to technically the Lord's will and authority. So um, that's dangerous, right? That's a slippery slope. Yeah, well, God's God's telling you he, what the best way to do it. Well, he and he does want yeah. us to be happy, but. The true happiness and true love comes in through obedience. Yeah. Through obedience. Yeah, so. that's key. Yeah, Jim. Um, if you look at what's said there, it says, "How do we sometimes see ourselves in thinking we're doing the will of God, in actuality pursuing our own desires?" So, just take a look at this and put your lawyer cap on the month for a moment. What's unique about that statement is our own desires. Take a look at it carefully. We had to have had a desire before we desired God. So that one right there is idolatry. We're pursuing our own desires, replacing something before God. Because that's why we're, in fact, falling into that deception. So that actually is idolatry. Just thought I, you know, I thought that was kind of neat that that's worshiping an idol. And the idol is the desire that we put up before we got to God. One question I had is, how do we, how can our know our knowledge of God's word and spiritual laws help us protect us from deception? It's like the the law. If you don't know the law, that's no excuse, right? If you don't know the speed limit, <laughs> we all know that, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, yeah. doing things that they think are the will of God without seeking God's will first. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. In the case where does God want you to be happy? Sure. (laughs) Um, Not knowing the word of God or twisting the word of God. Remember when Jesus was tempted um, by Satan, he after he had challenged his identity, if you're the son of God, change the, the stones to bread. The next tactic was, come down and worship me. I've got authority over all the kingdoms. And he said, no. And then the third one, he says, he took Psalm 91 and he twisted it, right? Doesn't the word say that you could throw yourself off and God will lift you up and he will dash you from it? So twisting the word of God. I don't know if you saw it last night. It really upset me and at the same time encouraged me. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, who is running from South Bend Mayor, he's running for as president, right? He was he was on television twisting the word of God. Now he's married to a man, right? And so he took the word and he said, "Doesn't the word speak of in abortion that life doesn't really begin until breath 
is, so he was saying, that's why abortion is okay, because the baby doesn't have breath yet. Well, it was so neat, his brother-in-law, because Pete is married to his brother, is a pastor, and he got on Fox News last night, did a marvelous job of truth without, you know, expounding on evil or anything, but he said, this is not right, that you can take that and twist that scripture in such a way. Look at Psalm 139 was his text. He said, life began in Psalm 139 when David says, you knew me when I was formed in my mother's womb. You knew me before I was, right? And so twisting scripture to fit your own desire or to make your case out of context yeah. is not the will of God, right? And so we need to know. Now, yes, there's tension in Scripture. We know that, right? But we have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to teach this Sunday or preach this Sunday. We have the Holy Spirit in that relationship. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask God, right, who is the Holy Spirit. So I think we have to be careful in this revelation of the Word. Is this really, am I justifying my desires right now? I want to divorce my husband or do it because I don't. I, I have a covenant. Well, yeah, yeah, but I want to be happy, and I'm, he's not making me happy. That's right. Well. Marlene. I know a young couple. Greg and I went to their wedding uh, many years ago, and uh, since then his wife has been very, very sick. And it seems to me that every other week they're going to Raleigh because she has to have another operation. Like, she's had about 30-something operations already. It's been really tough on the both of them and the, and the children as well. And their parents and everybody around them because we're, we're all praying for them all the time. And I think it was the day before yesterday, she posted something on Facebook about the joy of marriage. And she had listed some things that was kind of funny. And then I posted that when two or more are gathered together, Jesus is in the midst. And when you're in covenant, there's power in that covenant and there's power in that relationship. And through that power, you are going to overcome every single adversity that's going to come to your marriage. And you're going to be successful. And she was so happy I posted that. Now there's a, a lot of people now, 50% isn't it, are living together, not married. Is that right? Over 50%? That, uh, there's a song Glenn Campbell used to sing, and it's... Uh, I'll leave my bedroll by the door. What's the name of it? <laughs> you don't know that. But that's pretty much the way the world thinks. I'm not happy with this woman, so therefore I'll get me another. I, I met someone uh, last week who said, I, my husband got a new model. Traded the old one in, me, <laughs> and has a new one now. And they're married and... Uh, He's not doing so well, but but I think everything the devil does has a little twist of truth. Like 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 Eve's deception. Now go ahead and that last question. It says, What can be learned from Eve's deception in the garden that will enable you to overcome the sin of law and lawlessness that tempts that Satan tempts you with today? 
What can be learned from Eve's deception in the garden that will enable you to overcome the sin and lawlessness that Satan tempts you with today? What can you What can you learn from Eve's deception? I like what John Bevere said here is if we keep focused on the fact that God is good, even though you don't like what he's telling you to do right now, and Satan's tactic, his deception was to challenge God's goodness, right? So if we recognize um, he's always good, for example, I'm sure Eric, uh, Johnny Eric Tata, if you think about this, again, outside the scope of her life, she has brought many into the kingdom. Her yeah. testimony, people yeah. look at it and say, how do you keep your testimony for 50 years as a paraplegic? So she, the other side of, t- of her life with Christ, God has all eternity to pay her back for the sacrifices. You know, I had to reconcile this. My brother's as, as a Down syndrome, um, my daughter's disabilities. Well, God, I don't know what would have happened if my brother had been perfect in all, but I do know he loved the Lord. And I know he's perfect now. And God's got all eternity. We look at this little microcosm and say, God's not good because what I see doesn't fit goodness. He humbled me in that with, with Katie's stuff. And, and so we have to trust God is good. And he has all eternity. So don't Amen. buy, the, don't buy the, the, the stuff Satan puts in front of us that God can't be trusted here. Thank you. Now, the, when the devil tempts us, and you, if you look at them, the temptations of Christ, the third one was scriptural. That is, a, he tempts us with something that sounds good. It's, <laughs> there's some truth in it, but it's not the truth. And uh, Eve's deception was, hey, and what did Eve, what did Eve do that wasn't what God told Adam to do? He said, don't touch it. That's what Eve said. Adam didn't, didn't hear that from God. But that's, that's the way Satan deceived us. So if, if Satan can get you to look at yourself, you're, 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 that you're talking about, uh, Marlene, you're talking about that uh, loved one of, of, of yours that has had so many surgeries. How in the world could, could they stay married? But something good comes out of it, doesn't it? Something good will come out of it. So God knows all this. Even though life is hard, we have our Savior. <laughs> and uh, we're not, none of us are perfect. <laughs> oh, good. This, this, this man that came to my office about an hour ago or two hours ago, uh, I said, well, God gives you power to, 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 to do the things right. He gives, but the world doesn't see that. They see all the problems that they're going through, and many are committing suicide now. I think in the military now, it's it's increasing, increasing the amount of suicides in the military. And um, I know in, in in our schools now, people are wondering what's going on in their schools. Well, we took God out of it. We said, God, you are not welcome in our schools. When I was a younger man, I was probably in the sixth grade. We had five minutes in the morning of prayer. You couldn't even do that today. It's illegal. 
demonic, it's from Satan, <laughs> okay? Satan, these are demonic ideas, demonic, it, it des destroys, and God knows that, but uh, we have free will, right? Let's all stand and, and get, we'll, let, we'll leave with this. Lord, I do thank you so much for your, your word, the truth that keeps us coming back and showing us the way we should live, even when we don't do it right. Lord, you forgive us and you put us on the right track. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for bringing those people here who give up their Wednesday night to come and learn more about you. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus, and bless us as we go home and bless the rest of our day and the day tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.